Father, we thank you for this time of Christmas and New Year's, and now that that is all behind us, and we've thought about the resolutions, what we should do, maybe planning a little bit for what is ahead. We ask that you would help us to plan to be in your word, to listen for your voice, to spend time with you in a conversation, Lord, to hear what you have to say and to lift up our request and to intercede for those who need help. Father, help us to be diligent. Help us to be good disciples, good Christian soldiers, to be about your business. Help us to be not so consumed with this world that we forget our responsibilities. But, Father, we had asked that you would just meet us here, just bless us with your insight and your knowledge, and help us to apply it with wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you've experienced this personally as a man or experienced it as a woman, but there is a certain age at which young men become crazy. And I think you know when that time is. Uh, They recognize the opposite sex. It's like a light turns on, and all of a sudden, one day, they go from this hyperactive child to focusing. And that's the primary focus for the next how many years? How many decades? That is their focus, is the opposite sex. And then it it starts out, I I was a waiter uh, for a while, and there was this other brother who was there, and uh, he had come from another church up in the L.A. area, and he was down there, and I'd just gotten saved. And we were talking at our little lunch station. We were able to eat a little bit of lunch in our shift, and he turns to me and he goes, Bill. And I said, what? He goes, I'm in lust. And I said, you're what? He goes, I'm in lust, you know, because love is something that you learn and that you do. And, you know, so right now it's just lust, but I am totally in lust. I have a strong desire to see this girl and I want to know who she is. And, And so he was explaining it to me and I go, oh, I get it. I get it. He goes, pray for me, man. This is, oh, this is tough. This is difficult. I said, okay, I will. And so he would start doing things for this girl. And most young men will do just about anything to get into a relationship with a girl. I told you about these blog posts. These guys are just crazy. I mean, just out of their minds, the things that they will do. Now, maybe you've done something as a guy to show the girl that you are very interested. Maybe the girl you have received, the woman you have received something that a guy has done for you. Maybe he's built something or gone way beyond measure, but there should have been something, especially if you were married, there should have been something that you can point to as a woman that your husband has done for you that you know he loves me there needs to be something men that you have done that you know your wife would turn to you and say i know you love me because of what you have done now on the battlefield soldiers lay down their lives all the time for us and i think most of them realize why they do it there's no greater love than this that a man laid down his life for his friend And maybe in the marriage situation, you're willing to do that. You're going to lay down your life. That's what we're supposed to do in this life, is love. Abandon everything for the sake of others. 
Now, how much did God love us? You are going to see by the time we're done with chapter 10 here how much God loved us and how much he was willing to do for us. And it is so much. I was meditating on this and my mind was it was expanded i just it's hard to fathom what exactly he has done to get me and to get you and as we go through these plagues and we're not quite going to finish them up but almost finish them up today you will start to realize exactly the steps god has taken to get a hold of you and to make you his Now, as review goes, remember the actual days of the plagues were about 50 total in a cumulative fashion, but it happened over a nine-month period. And that nine months, I told you last week, is kind of like the birth pangs or the labor that a woman goes through. And there was a two-fold purpose that I told you about. I think it was last week that uh, it would be accomplished that Pharaoh would know that God is the only God and he would understand his power and also that the rest of the world would understand at that time the known world they would understand who God is that he is the most powerful God and there is an overreaching theme as we're going through this section of the scripture the hardening of Pharaoh's heart not only did he harden it but God hardened it as well and why was Pharaoh hardening his heart I discussed this with you his actions, you know, whatever we do, it's predicated on what we believe. Um, the young men, they don't believe they're going to get hurt if they do some crazy things, right? American's Funniest Home Videos has been wildly successful on young men and women that think they, are, they can do something without getting injured. And how many of you have not gone, oh, when you watch that program? Everybody does that. You just scream out. You go, oh, oh, and you writhe in pain because you know the individual has gotten hurt. But if you have this mindset, if you believe certain things, your actions will flow from what you believe. And so from here, Pharaoh's actions were flowing from what he believed. He didn't believe that there was one supreme God. He believed that there were many gods he believed that he was superior to all of them and by just offering things he could get his will and so that's how he operated now all of this came together to bring about the hardening of his heart now we left off in verse 3 but i'm going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 10 of exodus it says then the lord said to moses go to pharaoh for i have hardened his heart and the heart of his officials so that i may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them that you may tell your children and your grandchildren how i dealt harshly with the egyptians and how i performed my signs among them and that you may know that i am the lord and i told you that the christian faith is generational we're to tell our children we're to tell our grandchildren and what is implied here in the passage is we're not just doing that for our progeny we are doing this for all children for all time that we have here on this earth. We are to be engaged in making disciples, giving the gospel out, instructing them in the ways of the Lord. Verse 3 says, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of heaven, or the God of the Hebrews says, How long will you refuse to humble yourself? And so he gave him chance after chance. This particular point, he gave ten chances, ten plagues, and he was unwilling to humble himself. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So it's incumbent upon all of us to go before God 
and to humble ourselves. And that means in prayer, we recognize who he is and the state of our fallenness and recognize his grace and mercy towards us. And we need to do this verbally. You shouldn't just walk around going, yeah, I I believe that. I know that. You need to get on your knees or, you know, however you pray if you're sitting in your chair. And you need to give honor to God and say, God, I, I know who you are. You are the great I am. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. All of those things, those attributes which are his, you need to tell him that you understand that. That is part of our humbling that we need to experience. It goes on, says... Let my people go so that, we may, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that has grown in your fields. And they will fill your houses and those of your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your fathers nor your forefathers have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? So we just read the hearts of the officials have been hardened to some degree, but there are these others of other officials that are saying, Look, just get rid of this guy. Look at what has happened here. It has been so horrible for all of us. Pharaoh, let these guys go. Just get him out of here. We are better off if they are not here. In verse 8, he says, Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said, but just who will be going? Moses answered, We will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you if I let you go along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. Is that not the pot calling the kettle black? I mean, it, and that idea that both are made of cast iron and they're both black and, you know, and, and it's a difficult thing. You are calling somebody else what you actually are. In this case, it's the blackened heart is who Pharaoh was and what he was on the inside. And so he's turning to Moses and going, you are evil. Do you see that today? What are you guys called in the media? extremist you guys are extremists you have these extreme views what you're pro-life you believe that a baby should brought be brought to gestation all the way and be born you believe that is so extreme i thought it was mainstream you know what what do you you think taxes should be low that you shouldn't have to pay a lot of taxes and give them to the government and they disperse them to people that don't have you think that's not extreme you think that that's normal it's the right thing to do is it the right thing to do to take away what you have worked for so hard and just give it to others to illustrate this for um, kids you could be at a birthday party and all the presents come for the little child say just to make it fair we're going to give one present to everyone you know somebody has brought one we're not going to give it to the one child because it's not fair everybody needs to have one 
at the party. That's kind of the mentality of the world that is out there. See, you are extreme in your views. These Christian views are ancient. They're not even true. You need to just abandon that. Don't talk about God. Just remove God from every part of society and we'll be okay. And that's the track that we're on is to do that. And you are extremist in your views. And yet, what are they? Are they holy, righteous, and just? And pure as the wind-driven snow? Have they done no wrong? No, the people who are against God are as guilty as can be, but they don't claim to be moral. They claim the door is open to do whatever you want to do. And the world would have you be like that too. And sequester your beliefs. Keep them in your church. Keep them in your home. And do not let them seep out. Don't go out and witness. That would just be the worst. You know, when we were, um, I told you about this, when we were caroling at uh, Grossmont Center, they wanted to make sure we weren't going to be too religious on them because that might be, you know, they wanted to know songs we were going to sing. Kim, you printed that up in your, you sent the in the file just to make sure it wasn't going to be like too godly, you know, at Christmas being too godly. We got to shove that into the covers. And so the world would say, don't. And what does God say? Do. Get out there. Witness. Share your faith. It's going to be tough, but go ahead and do it. And the world says, no, don't. We don't want to hear that. And this is Pharaoh. Don't. You are bent on evil. Don't worship this God. Do my bidding. And so the world is going to have a tendency to pull you away. And the world will also say, we'll be accepting if you do this. Pharaoh would have been happy if Moses just went with the men and came back. Okay, now let's just get on with it here. Get back to making the bricks, right? Would have enslaved them even more and been even more harsh. And so if you go back to the world, if you leave the church and you go back to the world, the world's going to accept you and who you are. You know, there's things that the Lord tells us not to do. Do not steal, do not murder, do not covet, do not commit adultery. All of those things which are in the Ten Commandments, do not lie. But if you do it in the world, is it okay? Do our leaders lie? They do? I thought they were always telling the truth. Don't get me started on that. We have, well, <laughs> you know, this idea the Lord tells us not to do it, but the world embraces it. They will do whatever they need to do to buttress their beliefs. But God tells us no, even to the point of taking your life. And so we want to stand up and we call the world what God calls the world. The world is evil and the world is going to be judged and it's going to pass away pharaoh was evil pharaoh was going to be judged and he was going to pass away the people who were blessed were those who were the chosen of the lord the lord blessed them and prospered them and moved them on even though they were harassed and they were killed and they were persecuted by pharaoh but the whole time pharaoh was digging in, saying, you are bent on evil. So the world will do the same thing for you. They will call you evil. So if you keep that in mind, it's going to be a little bit better as we continue to walk with the Lord. Now going on here, verse 8. Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said, but who is going? Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old. And I already told you that. Verse 10, Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you if I let you go along with your women and your children. Clearly you are bent on evil. And that was hypocrisy on his side. Now verse 11 says, no, have only the men go and worship the Lord since that's what 
you have been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt so that locusts will swarm over the land and devour every growing, everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in the area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail. Everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the tree, nothing green remained on the trees or plants in all the land of Egypt. How many of you went to Bay St. Louis? Okay, there's like six or seven of us in here. What was the view that you had of the trees when Hurricane Katrina went through there? There was. There was boats and trees. The, uh, they were, what were they, oak trees? They were the big oak trees? They, they were just the branches going out, and there's no foliage on them at all. The wind that had gone through there, I know it was like 150 miles an hour or something like that, just ripped all the foliage off of the trees. And so as you went through there, all you saw were the sticks. Back in, um, it would have been the early 1980s, there was an infestation on the east coast of the gypsy moth. And the gypsy moth defoliated entire forests. You went back there and all you saw were the sticks of the trees up there it would be like the den of winter only it was summer in june and you would look at the trees i happened to be back there at that time you looked at the trees and there was not a green speck on them and as you would set up your tent we camped over there at night you would hear these drops like raindrops but they weren't raindrops they were gypsy moth worms falling on your tent. There were so many of them, and they were crawling around the ground. And you'd step outside, and you couldn't help but step on them. They were everywhere. Well, there were so many locusts here that they covered the ground. You could not see the soil. And, you know, they leave their droppings behind, too, and they die, and then it molds, and it turns black all Everywhere. So there is not one thing left. Remember what has taken place so far with these guys. They've had the dead fish that are in the Nile because the blood that was in there. They had the plague of frogs and they just reeked. They had the gnats and they had the lice. They had the flies. They had the livestock which was dead because they got a disease but the livestock of the israelites did not die then they had boils on their bodies then there was a hailstone that destroyed all the plants except for a couple of the uh, crops that were out there because they had not headed yet and then the locusts show up when would you start getting the message when would you if that was you when would you turn to god and say i'm getting the message put yourself in a position you lose your job. Your health starts to fail. Your car breaks down. The water heater goes. The stove breaks. The refrigerator goes out. Your kids need school clothes. You can't get those for the kids. You have health problems with family that is removed from this city. And at what point do you go, Hey, God, can I get some relief here? You know, this is getting kind of tough. 
And then you find out your health is failing. You've got something going on. Or you get some nagging toothache and you have to have an emergency session with the dentist, you know, whatever the case is. And then you get a toe fungus that won't stop. And I mean, you just start adding item upon item. How many items in a row would it take for you to go, I surrender, God. Could you just please turn this around? You know, at the dead fish and the gnats and the lice and the boils, I think I would have surrendered at that point. But these guys, their hearts were so hard. But, you know, this is like the unsaved. In this country, somebody has the chance to hear the gospel once a day. If they hear it 365 times in a year, how many times do you have to hear it before you say, you know, that applies to me. I need to get saved. But the world will refuse to do that, just like Pharaoh. So these guys are enduring to the max. Verse 15 says, Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, quickly he summoned Moses, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more. Of course, this is what? Number eight. And pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. So on one hand, Pharaoh's hardening his heart, but then on the other hand, the Lord says, all right, I'm going to harden your heart too. In addition, I'm going to pull away any restraint, and that heart is just going to solidify. If we are disobedient, the Lord will give us over to our desires. He will do that. It talks about that in the book of Romans because they refused to retain the knowledge of God. God gave them over to do things which they should not have done. And so if you want to be disobedient, the Lord says, okay, go ahead, go and do it. Now, what has the Lord done up to this point to save the Israelites? He has killed people. He has judged them. He has destroyed the land in order to get the people out. This is what God was doing for the Israelites. Do you realize that over history, God has directly been responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people to bring about salvation? And you might say, what kind of God is that? Well, it's because we sinned and he wants to redeem us. And you might say, well, why didn't he do it another way? It was impossible for God to do it any other way. I've often thought about this. Why didn't God just poof, change it all and just get us saved and just move us on? You don't think he would have if he could have? It's God's plan to have this happen to get you. Many people have died just to get you. Now, if somebody died for you, would you feel endeared towards them? Would you feel like, is there anything I can do for you? You know, when was the last time you gave somebody something like money or a car? Do they turn to you and are they grateful? And do they say, you know, can I do anything for you? But oftentimes as believers, and I do this too, Oh, yeah, God, I, I got time for you later. Not now. And we need to do that. We need to keep that in focus right up front in view of God's mercies. Off your body is live in sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. And so this is what is happening to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart is being hardened, and this brings about the ninth plague. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt. And by the way, there was no warning for this one. All the rest of these plagues had had warnings. A darkness that can be felt. Now, how dark does it have to be to you, for you to feel the darkness? I mean, this. have you ever been in a place that it's so dark you cannot see? Literally, you cannot see anything. There's one place that I know of that I've been that's like that. Where is it? Lakeside, yeah. <laughs> that's right. It's called Carlsbad Caverns. You go to the bottom of Carlsbad Caverns, they turn that light out, you see nothing. I have experienced this somewhere else too, and that is diving in the ocean out here off of Point Loma and La Jolla. If you do night diving, you have to come up and you have to have a three-minute safety stop to allow the nitrogen in your body to be reabsorbed so you don't get the bends. And so you come up and you hold at 15 feet for three minutes. If you've been down too long, you have to hold for four minutes or eight minutes, but you have to decompress. Your computer will tell you. And so if you go for lobster at night, you come up to the 15-foot mark, and if, there are no, if there's not a moon out and the water's kind of murky at 15 feet, it is pitch black. If you turn off your flashlight and you look, you can see nothing, absolutely nothing. And <laughs> you know, I've gone there and I'm going, this is exciting. You know, being out in the middle of the ocean and you're floating there and then you have to turn your light on to make sure you're staying at 15 feet because you can't perceive if you're up or if you're down. You know, Buzz has done this too, I'm sure, being at that level. And so you just float there and you're going, do, 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 do for three minutes. I wonder what's around me. I can't see anything around me at all. And it's kind of nerve-wracking. It is so dark. Now, this darkness, I was reading some of the commentaries about it and they said, more than likely... God prevented artificial light from being usable, which means you couldn't start a fire and have light from the fire as well. It means it would have been completely dark, but over in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived, it was light. Now, some of you can remember this. There were fires back in the 70s out here in East County, and it blanketed the entire county and you looked up and it was as black as this ceiling but in the distance you could see light over the ocean you know if you were down there you look in that direction you could see it but east county you could not see it and i can remember coming home you know as a young boy my parents uh, were there and we had a pool and the bottom of the pool it was white plaster it was black it was completely black and it was just kind of eerie but you could still see light in the distance even though it was high noon. But it was black everywhere else. It was almost like night. Some of the lights were actually turning on because it was getting so dark. But you would think that the Egyptians could see in the distance where it was light over the land of Goshen. But probably not. It's almost like there was a veil of darkness that they could not perceive what was going on. That's the type of darkness that the commentators were talking about. Now, if that's the case, 
you wouldn't know where you are, what you could do, who was around you except for a voice print. You would hear something. What kind of darkness would that be? That would be kind of freaky. That would be kind of scary. That would be like 15 feet at night down in La Jolla in the water. You don't know what's around you, what's lurking. What if there was some animal or something that was around there, it came into your house and you didn't know what it was. I mean, talk about a scary environment. And they were there for three days in this darkness. Now, three days. What else was dark and gloomy for three days? A crucifixion of Christ, you know, and then darkness came over the land at that point, but he was in the grave for three days. It's like this death came to Christ. Well, this death, no light was in the land of Egypt at that time either. So you can see the connection there. Now, Going on with this, verse 24, And Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord, even your women and your children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. So he was relenting to a little bit of a degree, but he was not doing so completely. Remember, he told Moses that he was bent on evil. And verse 25 says, So Moses said, You must allow us to have our sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. Now, he does one more time, and he doesn't die But Pharaoh's heart is so hard, he is just refusing. The world will get to this point as well. The world will get to this point where they are so hard, they don't want anything to do with God. They want to be completely removed. Remember in the tribulation period, they will hide in the caves and under the rocks. They don't want to see God. They want nothing to do with God. That is the direction of the world. And once the church is taken out, it is going to be even worse. They will rejoice in their wickedness, but the Lord is going to judge that as well, just like the next plague which comes here in verse 1 of chapter 11. This is the 10th plague, and we'll get into it more in depth next week. But it reads, Now the Lord has said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for article of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So the officials recognized the authority of God at this particular point that, they had, that God had placed in Moses the prophet. And verse 4 says, so Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. But from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of a slave girl who is at her handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at a man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. 
all these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Now this is one time you see Moses mad. And he has this righteous anger here because Moses knows there is going to be death sweeping through the nation of Egypt and it doesn't have to be like that. It's only because of the hardness of heart. The Lord has said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. So you see the ultimate hardening of his heart. Now the story goes on and we know what happens to Pharaoh and his army. At least if you don't, we will get there. But the point of all of this is, you know, you try to apply this to yourself. What knowledge do we want to take away from this? What do we want to understand? As I said in the beginning, the major theme is the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. That he did it and God did it for him as well. And it resulted in God being glorified. But God was willing to do this so he could have the people for himself. It has become an epic battle over the centuries with God against the world, against Satan, against the flesh. And God will have none of it. God will destroy your flesh as well. Your flesh flesh is under judgment. God will not allow your flesh to survive. It will not inherit the kingdom of God. This earth is decaying. It's subject to the law of entropy. It will be destroyed. The entire universe which is here, he will destroy it. He will destroy all who will not accept the great salvation. And nobody will be able to turn to God and say, you were not fair. Romans tells us that men are without excuse because everybody will know that God exists because of what has been made. It's because they refuse to retain the knowledge of God. And just like Moses was angry at Pharaoh, God is going to be angry at this world and at Satan. And there is judgment to come. Now some preachers could go off on hellfire and brimstone from this point and make all the believers feel tremendously guilty. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you guys how much God loves you to sacrifice all this. He's going to sacrifice the universe. He's going to sacrifice the world. He's going to sacrifice everybody in it that will not accept him. And he gives everybody a chance. What great love is this? Ladies, there is no man that has loved you that much to let everything go. And God has done this. So if you go from this place, know this. God has sacrificed everything everything in this life including his son to get you do you understand what kind of love that is that is just like almost beyond comprehension and it's you personally it's not like you as a people you as a church yes but he knows you by name he knows the hairs on your head you know when you've been married for a long time one doctor told me at one point, I said, you know, I got this little thing right here, and I got this little thing over here, and I got these liver spots, you know, liver spots, I got these liver spots here, and he goes, oh, yeah, barnacles. You get these barnacles as you get older. And, and I said, 
barnacles. And he goes, yeah, that's what you're going to, you're going to get a whole bunch of them by the time you get really old, you know, and you'll just have these barnacles everywhere. And uh, eventually, you know, you'll just decay. You'll become one big barnacle. And I, I said, okay, most of us know the barnacles on our spouses, right? Oh, you got this mark here, you got that mark there. We, and, and all this stuff, it's just we're all decaying, but we know each other. Well, God knows you. He knows every barnacle on your body, not just the hairs in your head. He knows your attitude. He knows the deepest thoughts in your heart, how you want to turn away from him. And God says, it's okay. You've trusted in me. I'm going to change all of that. How great is that? Ladies, do you get upset when your husband has been a blow it? You don't? Of course you do, right? And God may get a little upset, but he turns it back and he goes, it's okay. It's going to be all right. Everything is going to change. Man, what great love is that? Next time your spouse makes your life miserable, just turn to them and go, it's okay. You know, it's going to be fine. It's not going to be a problem. That's what God does for us. Can you be like that in my flesh? I wish I could. I strive to be like that, but I fall short. So the message you need to go away from with today is God loves you so much, he has sacrificed everything to get you. And because of that, make your bodies a living sacrifice. Offer it to him. Just say, Lord, you've done so much for me. What would you like? What would you require of me? And he'll let you know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have so loved us that you gave us your son. You gave us salvation. You're going to give us a new body. And we know it has not been brought to fruition yet. But we know that it will be. And so we thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for what you have put down in order to raise us up. And Father, we can never repay you. But we will just humbly bask in your grace and your glory. And be thankful for the mercy that you extend. In Jesus' name, amen.